0: Hey, welcome back to Room in the Margins, the podcast where we talk about empathy and its miraculous side effects. I saw an article this week that said that there is a common thread between the countries with the best responses to the COVID-19 pandemic. These countries are almost entirely run by female leaders. You have Taiwan's president, Tsai Ing-wen, with seven deaths from COVID, and New Zealand's prime minister, Jacinda Ardern, with only 22 people in a population of nearly 5 million. And so, I mean, Jacinda is also one of my favorite political leaders because of other reasons. For instance, she put a ban on assault rifles in six days after the Christchurch massacre. And also because she says things like this to the press. You're asking me what my advice for Kanye West is? My point is, I believe that the future is female. And so when I wonder if this is truly the end times, I'm brought back to hope by young women who are showing the world how to be adaptable and lead. For my money, no 30 under 30 list would be complete without today's guest, Waringa Kamau. I met Waringa when we were working together in her hometown of Nairobi, Kenya, uh, where we were dispatched to the informal settlements there, and we recorded the stories of residents. We got stuck in the mud together, we were invited to tea, uh, we hyped the virtues of access to sanitation, uh, and in the meantime, Waringa has gotten her master's from UC Berkeley, and she's worked at such outstanding media outlets as Al Jazeera, CNN, and Bloomberg. In this episode, we talk about navigating culture, what constitutes belonging, and how to move beyond single-perspective stories of Africa. Here's Waringa.
1: I recently joined Tinder, which is very interesting. (laughs) I'm so proud (laughs) of you. Because thanks to, (laughs) well, thanks to Corona and like staying home all the time, there's really nothing else to do and you get bored. Um, So I was like, well, maybe this will help me kill some boredom. (laughs) So... So yeah, so I joined Tinder. So I matched this guy. And we start talking, you know, just the usual, like, you know, try to get to know each other, whatever. Then he goes, like, so yeah, kind of try to get a sense of, like, oh, where are you from? Uh-huh. And he asked me the same. Then after I tell him, he's like, oh, wow, are you, like, a third culture kid? And I was like, what is that? I mean, I didn't ask it. I was like, am I supposed to know what that is? Um, so I quickly go on Google and I'm like, third culture kid definition, and like it takes me to like Urban Dictionary, which is always appropriate. Um, <laughs> and so they describe it as like like someone who essentially has like a fusion of like many cultures and predominantly spent a lot of their like formative years um, like in different in different different cultures, like outside of you know, like they're where they're from naturally, like by birth type of situation. And I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess that's me. So then I went back quickly to Tinder and I was like, ah, somewhat. <laughs> 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 the more I thought about it, I kind of started to see how much I always felt this way. I just didn't have a term for it
0: it's a new phrase to me, but it's so fitting of what I know of your experience. And I'm kind of curious whether you said, you know, you're somewhat a third culture kid, because um, when I was looking for like, okay, what are, you know, what are some examples of, uh, you know, I think what had popped up on Urban Dictionary was, uh, you know, you've got like, other notable third culture kids. Barack Obama, excellent. Uh, Keanu Reeves. Uh, and, and so the examples were like Keanu Reeves has an English mother, an American father. He was raised in Lebanon, Australia, US, <laughs> and Canada. Um, and I was like, okay, cool. I can rock with this. And then it was like Kim Jong-il. <laughs> I was like, well, <laughs> we, we took well, a hard left <laughs> or a hard right, <laughs> as,
1: uh,
0: in other words. But, um, yeah.
1: No, I didn't even know they had Barack on that list. Um, well, I mean, so I I could say now, I, in fact, am a third culture kid
0: because I love Obama so much. (laughs) I was like, anything associated.
1: uh. I'm like, I'm on board.
0: So one of the early examples of, um, I just, I think when you and I had had met early on, we were working for an organization in your hometown of Nairobi, Kenya, uh, for an organization called Sanergy. I don't know, I just really saw how, how quickly you connected with people, how easily you moved in those environments. Um, how has that served you? Like, what, what is the advantage to being a third culture kid?
1: Like, it helps me be able to kind of fit in whatever kind of group of people I find myself with or situation. Um, like, it just makes it really easy for me to, uh, to kind of just get in and go with the flow and not feel too out of place. Because I think I've, I've been able, like, through school and work and whatever, like, and even just personally, I've been able to kind of interact with so many, like, different people from very different cultures who have, like, very different ways of thinking. Having all of that at a very, like, critical, you know, stage in my life in the sense that, like, it was around the time when I was trying to kind of figure out some things and kind of develop an opinion for myself. So like I went to school in South Africa. I was born in Kenya. I went to school in South Africa for two years for high school. After that moved to the states where I went to school in like a very rural town called Lexington in Virginia, which um I probably don't ever want to go back to. (laughs) It was a very complicated experience. Um, Yeah, and then so spent four years there. Um, And then moved over to California for grad school. But in between did like all these other interesting stints in different places, um, either for like study abroad, like in Ghana or like internships in like back in South Africa. And then again in New York and then in Atlanta um, and then in Nairobi. So like just being in very different groups um, at such a key stage, I think, of my personal development just, um, I don't know, helps me fit, um, but also still stand out in my own way.
0: I'm kind of curious about your high school years in South Africa. What was that like for you making that uh, shift?
1: I actually went to boarding school when I was about nine and I wanted to go to boarding school that young. Like my mom tells this story all the time and it's like the funniest thing ever. So apparently I was always telling her I needed to go to boarding school, but like, she was like you're so young there's no way i'm taking you to boarding school and then she tells me actually um there's a boarding school that takes girls like under nine or at nine and i was like oh really okay So she used to buy the paper every day like she and my dad used to buy the paper every day so apparently i took the paper and started going through it like for the next few weeks until i found like a couple of schools and i picked my tops and i told her when she came home from work like you need to call these three schools because i need to schedule an interview
0: (laughs) And you were nine years old at the time
1: i'm telling you she tells this story and i'm like i I don't know. I was that efficient as a child. This
0: is, this is crazy. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So this started like like way early on.
1: Yeah. Like I've always kind of been like that nomad type of person, like from a very young age, like I wanted to go to boarding school and just be by myself and figure it out. Um, by the time I was starting my application to go for the high school in, in Joburg, um, my parents didn't know about it until I got to the point in the application where I needed their signature. And I was like, oh, by the way, this is happening. I just need you to put your name here. <laughs> and they were like, you're like 16. You're not going anywhere. And I was like, you know, let's, let's just see what happens. So I got in and then it was time to go. And she was, my, my mom especially was very like against this whole thing. And she was like, you know what, fine, just just go. And then getting there was like, I was already used to like being alone and like being by myself, but like that was a completely different experience because what was special about my high school um it's it's called African Leadership Academy. What was special about it is that they got kids from all over the continent, like all over Africa, so like in a class we would probably have like twenty five nationalities all at once, and that was incredibly it was so new to me, but it was also so exciting because some kids didn't know English. They only spoke Portuguese. Some people only spoke French. Others just, you know, spoke English and were trying to help each other learn because we're all going to take the curriculum in English. So you kind of just have to help everyone figure out the language and go from there. Like it's such an interesting, interesting experience. And there's like any conversation, no wonder, I mean, no matter how Basic was always just so incredibly interesting because everyone was bringing in like some very different perspectives. I don't know, like if I had to redo life, I would still include that
0: part, right? And then what did that spark in? So it seems like from nine year old you to like then you get a taste of what this is, uh, what this is like in high school, and then what was the momentum from there?
1: So for college, I knew I I wanted to go somewhere even further, I needed to cross another ocean. So my mom's like, I mean. Sure. So, yeah, so that's how I ended up in the States for college, um, which was also like a very interesting experience in and of itself. So, I've had two college experiences in the States, and they are very vastly different. The first was in undergrad in the little town uh, in Virginia called Lexington, which, for the most part, is like very, how do we say this? Like very conservative, very. A good example to describe what Lexington was, at least for me and, and my experience, was that every. Every time it was um, Robert E. Lee's birthday, um, pretty much like every other son of the Confederacy would flock into town mm. and like be lined on the streets. And it was just really weird to be there as like mm. a black person. So like that was my undergrad experience. Right, um, right. And then now my other experience in the U.S. was going, all, going across the country to California where things were like, Incredibly different from it was like a complete one eighty, and I was like, oh wow. For me, I started studying. I started to kind of think about these things of like belonging and identity and those like topics. Once I got to the states, not even at L A. because at L A. there was still that kind of feeling of belonging because I was I don't know somehow I don't know I, I didn't feel so out of place. But then when I went to the states, there was you knew you couldn't you you couldn't say that you actually belong there because you're not from there. Um, But then now on summer holidays, when I come back to Kenya and then I'm in Nairobi and I still feel like, weirdly, I don't belong still. Like that was weird Um, because with the not belonging in the States, I could wrap my head around like I'm not from here. I wasn't born here. I'm only here for school like that. I could get. But then it's when I went, started going back home for like, you know, two weeks of summer or whatever. And I still feel like I don't quite belong here either. Now, that's what I couldn't kind of reconcile. And it bothered me for a long time, I would say, um, until I guess I just started getting comfortable with the idea that like what it means to belong. So like for some people, it's like being, being from a place, you know, like so some people their whole identity, like say, for example, for you, like my identity is like, or I feel like I belong because I'm American and I live in America and like this, this you get your sense of belonging from that. And, like, for me, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. Like, I couldn't say that and feel, like, actually 100% comfortable. So I guess that's when I started to, like, kind of think, oh, you know what, maybe, like, the many ways in which I don't belong, like, that's actually how I belong on the outskirts of things. Like, I feel like that's where I actually thrive. And I, it was just a matter of me getting comfortable with that. That was a very long detour.
0: No, I love it. I, I, I mean, I think we're getting into it. It's um, the journey to arrive at just like accepting that as your as part of your identity and just being like, yeah, this is where I'm gonna thrive. Is is like bridging uh, bridging cultures and never never quite like one place. I'm, I'm curious about um, some of those trips home. Like, what were those signals where you, or maybe it was just like an undercurrent uh, feeling of like wow, I have changed and grown since being in this place. How would you be able to characterize like not, not feeling like you belonged?
1: I don't know. It's just like, and with some of these things, it's usually like harder to, to like put a finger on and say like this exact thing is, is what kind of makes me feel like that. But like, it's in simple ways. Like Maybe sometimes in in conversation, maybe I sound a little bit different compared to everyone else in the circle, and I can very quickly, oftentimes, like switch or try to like tone down my accent, which is like everyone who has I, I don't know. I feel like many many, let's call them third culture kids, are able to do that very well. Like depending on who is around you, you'll be able to kind of speak that way. Um, but sometimes it doesn't happen, and so when you when you're in a group and you're speaking and you're still like in your whatever accent you've acquired from all your different stops on your journey like when that comes out you're just like oh wow i'm like very different i don't know just there's just i don't know how to put like a finger on it but it's just like subtle reminders every day that like you know maybe you don't belong or maybe you're just different or you know something like that and which again for me is fine like initially it would it would it would um would make me feel some type of way or maybe like sometimes you know people always make fun of you for doing something in a way they don't expect or saying something in a way you don't they don't expect you to and so when maybe like my cousins or something would like throw in little like teases about something I said or did differently like it's not upsetting it's just like another reminder that like oh by the way you're a little bit different and that's okay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah, certainly. And when you were in graduate school at UC Berkeley, uh, I know you talked about, uh, at least at the time, there were many uh, like student groups for you know, specifically like affinity spaces. And so I wondered if, like, were you already comfortable with sort of toggling uh, at that point or did you seek out other, other student groups uh, while you were in grad school?
1: I don't know. I would say, like, for the most part, I was already kind of, like, okay with that. So, for example, there was, like, a group of, I mean, a group for, like, African students, um, which was always very, like, interesting for me to be a part of because, on one hand, it was, like, this kind of keeping in touch with, like, a part of my identity that I actually very genuinely connect with because I'm very African and I'm very proud of that. So, like, having kind of a community around me that celebrates that too. That's, that's nice. I, I feel like that's like good for the soul. Right. Well, I mean, that yeah. acceptance
0: is huge because I think you could, you know, you could stay in that sort of tension of, of that, uh, of that feeling, but you've really kind of embraced it and made it your strength, which I think is a really beautiful thing well, why are you drawn to journalism in the first place?
1: You know, almost everyone who's in journalism is like, yeah, you know, I used to be an editor at the high school, whatever. I don't know, maybe it's usually true for everyone because it was for me too. Um, and so with that initial, like, interest in that kind of stuff and storytelling it was just really because I, I wanted to, like, hear people and also just, like, tell a story.
0: Well, and you've had some pretty incredible uh experiences and projects along the way at what point was Al Jazeera that
1: was during grad school that was like final year uh, my second year of um, grad school Mm -hmm. and so I used to do it I used to do it part-time which was like incredibly hectic so I would have to take class some hours um, some couple of hours in the day and then you know at random points like you know go across the bay Um, to San Francisco um, for the job every day. Like it was really hectic. I actually don't know why I did that. But (laughs) um, And it came back to back to also having done a short stint at um, CNN in Atlanta as well, which was also incredibly interesting. And for the CNN experience in particular was just um, personally very rewarding in the sense that I got to work on like shows that I had always watched like on TV. So I was like actually genuinely interested in them. And so to be able to kind of work on stories in contribution for those shows, you know, stuff like African Voices. Like, that was really, like, very exciting for me.
0: Yeah, can you speak a and little I bit got, more on, on, like, maybe your favorite of those?
1: The main part of my job there, I think, would be the most interesting, which is um, helping the producers of um, African Voices. And so what that show is all about is just, like, finding, like, young people who are doing, like, really interesting or innovative things um, in Africa, maybe ranging from fashion to healthcare to entrepreneurship, like just young people who are doing the thing, you know. When I started J school, um, especially in undergrad, I, one of the things that was really interesting to me was that, or that was very important for me was kind of telling African stories in like um, an authentic way. Because at that point, I mean, we've made some progress, but like at that point, like a few years back, like anything you'd ever hear on the continent was like, either we are fighting, we're dying of AIDS, you know, like, you know, it was always like this horrible story. For me, just the more I got into like my classes at the journalism school and even just like being an intentional like participant of like, news or audience of news and kind of just seeing what was being put out there like I realized I was actually really bothered by this kind of very like single-sided negative like one perspective idea of Africa I don't know at that point like my storytelling was even more important to me because it was I was I felt like I needed to kind of give a story that was different but not just different but also like true in my experience because like a lot of the things i was seeing on news at that point i was like that is not my experience as an african but like why should there be like just this one story about like an entire continent Mm -hmm. well people have like very different experiences in this place too totally
0: well I would be remiss in this interview if I didn't share an experience I had while we worked together in Nairobi. The one and only time that I met your mother, Waringa, was I think we went to Gikomba Market. um, (laughs) And (laughs) I have never in my life met a more fierce (laughs) negotiator. (laughs) I wish I'd had a notebook that day because all I remember is she got everything, exactly what she wanted for the price that she wanted. (laughs) And she walked away. It was just like a case study, an art form uh, in uh, negotiation.
1: She can, like, sometimes I'm just like, don't, don't you think the price you're asking for is, like, low-key disrespectful?
0: Like, just <laughs> seriously. Did not like, bat an eyelash. Did not bat an
1: eyelash. Like, like, the guy, maybe he's going to say, all right, you want this thing, you can get it for $15. And she'll look at him straight in the face and be like, I'll get it for three. Like, yeah. what? <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> and the, just the confidence, I will get it for three. And then she'll walk away. That was, oh god. And then yeah. yeah, I feel like she had like three or four vendors at one point just like y- you know, like yelling after her, like still trying to make a deal.
1: Oh man. And that's um that's actually a very important skill to have in this Nairobi. I will tell you that. Mm. Um I don't have it. I, I'm trying to kind of learn it. Um, (laughs) But um, I'm not, I'm not very good at negotiating. Like if my mom is the benchmark, I suck at negotiating.
0: So I like to ask every guest as we wrap up, just because things are so heavy right now and it just, um, there's a whole lot of negativity in the world, but like what is bringing you joy right now? And it can be something like totally silly or, uh, some people take the sentimental route or whatever it is for you like what is bringing you joy right now um plants
1: i like plants um and so i just like have been adopting nice little plans and um if i go uncontrolled my house will be a tropical forest
0: we'll send you off with a tune that was also bringing wearing a joy right now which is the black pumas and the song is called colors When they get up off this ground, shake it down.